You're listening to Rain's Essential Geopolitics Podcast, powered by Stratfor. I'm Emily Donahue. This year, China began testing a digital currency. So far, things have seemed to be positive, which could put China in line to be the first country with a central bank-issued digital currency. So what does that mean? I've asked Michael Monderer for help explaining. He's Stratfor Senior Analyst for Global Economics at Rain. It's a good thing you're here, Michael. Thank you, Emily. Michael, let me ask you up front, does this digital currency pose any sort of threat to the international role of the U.S. dollar? And by extension, should or would the U.S. be concerned? Well, Emily, a uh, former U.S. Treasury Secretary liked to say that no one ever got rich betting against the dollar in the long term. And I think that's still the case regarding this digital currency. Um, China is experimenting with a digital form of its currency, and it would be separate from physical currency notes and coins and banking deposits used as a basis for money. But it's really not much of a revolution in international finance. Um, Trade and capital flows already take place largely in digital form. And every time we use a debit or a credit card, we're engaging in digital transactions. What's, what's different about a central bank digital currency is that it enlarges the transaction means beyond currency and circulation and bank deposits and allows central banks to create liabilities through a channel that doesn't depend on the banking system. In the end, however, a digital central bank currency remains largely a transactions vehicle and not a store of value. And and that's the case with China's digital currency. China accounts for 13% of global trade compared with less than 12% for the U.S., but the RMB is actually used in less than 2% of global transactions. And this really isn't going to change that very much. Earlier, you mentioned betting against the dollar. Can you explain to me why the dollar has the large role it does in international trade and finance? Sure. Um, Money is defined not by what it is, but by what it does. And money basically has three functions. It's a unit of account, a means of transactions, and a store of value. Um, Now, there was no international decree making the dollar the central global currency. It's true that the Bretton Woods Conference during World War II put the dollar at the center of the post-war financial system. But that reflected basically the fact that the U.S. economy was the only stable economy coming out of the war and that there was really no alternative. For the last 50 years, however, with the collapse of the Bretton Woods system in 1971, uh, the dollar's role basically reflects, number one, its liquidity or the ease of use of the currency, the strength of the U.S. financial system, the openness of the U.S. economy, and the credibility of the U.S. Federal Reserve and U.S. assets as a reliable store of value. So the dollar is really the quintessential risk-free asset against which investment returns in every other asset are priced. And that explains the dollar's role. Hold that thought, Michael. We'll be right back in a second. I want to pick up on that. Michael, earlier you were talking about the dollar's large role in international trade and finance. What would China need to do to challenge dollar supremacy? Well, first of all, Emily, digitizing China's currency does nothing to change China's financial system. 
And despite its size as the world's second largest economy and the largest world exporter, uh, China still has a relatively closed financial system. It welcomes money coming in, but there's no guarantee that once investors put money in, they can get it out quickly or, or even easily, given an extensive network of capital controls. As an example of, of that, just within the past few weeks, the People's Bank of China, the central bank, has been taking administrative action to slow the appreciation of the exchange rate. Um, its stated purpose is trying to maintain financial stability, but it's discouraging investment in Chinese assets. And basically, China is afraid that financial inflows add to domestic liquidity, and without allowing the safety valve of open outflows, it creates asset bubbles domestically, and that interferes with domestic economic management. So the People's Bank of China is really using administrative measures to counter market trends, and that underscores the lack of openness of the economy and the use of the RMB as a store of value. In addition to that, the Chinese financial system is generally vulnerable. It's very over-leveraged. China has one of the largest debt-to-GDP ratios worldwide. It's 335% compared with only 180% for the U.S. Even 180% of, can I just ask you to clarify that GDP is pretty high. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, but that includes both public and private debt. Normally, when we talk about debt to GDP ratios, we're talking about public sector debt, which in the U.S. is approaching 100% and is considered for most countries to be above a, a, a certain critical threshold. But the 180% level, as with the Chinese 335% level, is both public sector debt and private sector debt. As I said, the exchange rate is heavily managed. It doesn't really reflect market developments. And foreign investors don't have full access to Chinese domestic assets. And even if they do, there's no guarantee of property rights. And in addition to that, the People's Bank of China isn't fully independent. So all those things argue against China being a, or the, the Chinese currency being a reliable store of value. Now, as the economy grows and trade increases, especially in Asia, the Chinese currency will be used more as a settlement currency, again, a transactions currency. But the demise of the dollar has been predicted many, many times. I mean, if a few years ago we were all going to be using yen instead of dollars, then the euro was supposed to supplant the dollar. And a former French president complained of the U.S.'s exorbitant privilege in having everyone use the dollar. But one thing I like to point out is that with exorbitant privilege also comes exorbitant responsibility. <laughs> uh, in, in the last 20 years, the, the U.S. Federal Reserve has really become the de facto international lender of last resort. Um, just in the current economic crisis during COVID-19, the Fed has increased its balance sheet by $4 trillion. That is, it's, it's increased money by $4 trillion. It has established swap lines where it will lend temporarily money with 14 other key central banks in the world. And it's allowed lending against against U.S. Treasury holdings for 170 other banks. I don't see any evidence that the People's Bank of China is prepared to play the same role. That is providing liquidity without limit in the event of a financial crisis. And until it does that, the RMB is not going to be a major player internationally. Thanks for that guidance, Michael. You're welcome, Emily. A pleasure to be here. 
Michael Monderer is Stratfor Senior Analyst for Global Economics at Rain. At Rain, we work to keep our clients ahead of the curve on developments regarding currency regulations and other risks in countries where they do business. Try our expertise out for free. Sign up today for the Stratfor Worldview newsletter from Rain. Go to worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.